Welcome to the Digital Health Insights Podcast, where NZ Hits CEO Scott Arrell brings you key thought leaders to share their experience, views, and vision on all things digital health and more. All tech enablement is essential for creating world-class health systems, and Scott's guests discuss how this can be achieved, the challenges that need addressing, the opportunities it creates, and the benefits delivered to health, disability, and social care services in New Zealand and worldwide. Welcome. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. I'm Scott Arrell, and it's a pleasure to be able to share with you these digital health insights. Throughout my career, I've been passionate about the achievement of a world-class health system. Well, who wouldn't be, frankly? It's such a privilege to speak with so many fantastic people who are even more passionate and dedicated than me. At NZHIP, we're all about connecting, engaging, and educating people and organizations to advance digital technologies to reach a level of full tech enablement, which is the only way we can truly support the delivery of high-quality health and disability care services. With that in mind, I'm very pleased to bring you this episode, which is an interview with Kyle Ford, who is the CIO at the WellSouth Primary Healthcare Organisation, or in New Zealand, more commonly referred to as PHOs. Kyle's doing an awesome job to lead and support the delivery of primary care services in that region, along with making a contribution at a national level. Our topic today is about virtual healthcare, or more commonly referred to as telehealth. In this interview, we'll provide you with an enlightening snippet into how this has rapidly progressed over the past six to seven weeks during the pandemic, and during that period where we've kicked COVID-19 right into touch and got on top of it, uh, uh, beating the world, quite frankly, and getting to a point where we could get back to some level of the new normality. Hey, and just one final thing before we get started, I'd love to hear from you. So use the contact form available from our website at nzhit.nz, that's nzhit.nz, to give me feedback, ask questions, or request a chat. I'd love to hear from you. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for joining us today to uh, join us to talk about our topic, which is about virtual health care. And uh, but before we do that, uh, there's been a, a funny thing called COVID, which actually New Zealand has broken the back of, of course. And uh, why don't you tell us what's been keeping you busy uh, just over the last probably six to seven weeks? Mm, yeah, it's interesting to cast your back, mind back 75 days. But thank you, Scott, um, for the invite today. It's a pleasure being on your show. Um, yeah, so going back, um, right back 75, 76 days and my wife saying to me that um, me staying at home was, was going to be a great thing for her and the kids and then um, I ended up working 27 days straight uh, in a row um, and wasn't home at all really. We were holed up with our own bubble uh, at work. Um, really reacting to a, a, a pretty severe pandemic um, in our country, which, um, you yeah, know, we see the end result of it now. We've responded well, um, which has been mm, absolutely yeah. fantastic with many challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really, you've been at the sort of forefront of it in terms of in your area. So um, actually, we should let listeners know where you operate in. So you're at Well South PHO yeah. uh, down, down in the beautiful uh, – Sort of the bottom end of the South Island, which is so the, the the best place in the in the whole country, uh, mind you. I did interview someone the other day from Christchurch, and I told her the same thing, of course. So you know, <laughs> I've just 
<laughs> oh, the, the, the better south, um, the lovely it gets. So, um, yeah, 313,000 enrolled patients, um, you know, from the Waitaki all the way down um, to the bluff across to Stewart Island. So, um, yeah, it's a huge area. It's uh, the largest catchments and, um, you know, 40% of our general practitioners um, are rural. Um, so it's a yeah, and vast geographic spread um, to travel as well. Yeah, so, and you said you were in your own special bubble there with the people around you. That, that included the DHB and others. It was, uh, you know, yeah. quite a, re- a response team going there, didn't you? Yeah, so, um, and it was almost like um, we anticipated two weeks out um, you know, what we had to do to be able to respond. Um, so if we went into level four um, and we had to respond very quickly, and we're talking about, um, you know, 12, 24, uh, 48 and 72 hour cycles um, of response. Responding. Um, if you take, um, you know, responding to setting up CBACs um, across the, the district, um, you know, there was generally 24 hours notice um, to get things working. And the community, the the amount of support from the community would just drop everything and give you everything, um, you know, and ask questions later. And um, and you know, if we look at virtual health um, to general practice, um, that's probably a, a really good segue into our discussion today, Scott. Um, particularly around um, you know the the college announcing that virtual consults um, were going to begin on that Monday morning um, you know, our notice at five o'clock on Thursday afternoon and you know how do you react to that and um, so you roll out a, a, a platform that you've used before um, because there's no time for, for test driving anything um, well let's uh, let's explore that a bit more and actually to be clear for listeners who, who may not be aware but the, the colleges referring to the Royal New Zealand College of GPs, uh, which really made a pivotal decision in those early uh, week or, or just week and a half of uh, the lockdown period. But uh, why don't we then, yeah, that's a great segue. So let's talk about virtual healthcare pre-COVID, during COVID, and now we're into post-COVID, at least here in New Zealand, we're into post-COVID. So, uh, and you were, again, you were sort of at the coalface there. You had to support your GP um members and uh, converting or changing shutting their doors pretty well yeah. overnight and and getting on with still delivering care so if we go um if we go pre-covid um and we'll go right back to when i started scott um coming from the private sector into the into the public um you know i had a, an interest in in telehealth and delivering that into the um into our district being you know Huge, huge catchment area, um, you know, long distance for people to travel. Um, so it was a no-brainer. But um, uptake and um, you know, getting people on that on that journey was extremely difficult. And um, you know, two and a half to three years later, it was still very, very difficult to get people in that mindset. Um, I think you know, it's it's the patients that really wanted it. But you know, how do you fund it? Um, you know, especially from a general practitioner perspective, how do you fund virtual healthcare? Um, telehealth you know one consult um, via a phone you know what are the what are the baseline metrics or um the framework that you operate within that so that was always a challenge and like that was a national thing it wasn't just um you know reserved to the southern district and then um and so i've, I've always been across it so it was relatively easy to understand how it would be implemented into general practice when um, we were getting close to that point and then it was just sprung on us um, with 72 hours to deliver 
um, and um, and it was it was received with open open arms by general practitioners because they were in a position where well we can't see people so this is our only revenue stream really um, you know this is how this is the new world for us at this moment um, let's embrace it and they did very well to do that um, you know we deployed 160 instances um, you know to um, to our general practitioners across 80 practices and. Uh, they, um, you know, the, the utilisation, you know, within three weeks was, you know, two and a half thousand consults. So, um, which is fantastic. And it's not just reserved to um, video either. Um, uh, phone consultation was a, it was a huge part of, um, you know, that uptake as well, which was, which was fantastic. Yeah, and what about the patient experience? So the, you know, the I, I was the same as you. I was just, um, just blown away, frankly, by how the, the you know, the, the medical practitioners, the clinicians, but you know, you're talking about their uh, practice managers, their practice staff, and uh, man, they must have worked really hard uh, to to be able to pivot so quickly. Uh, then, how how did the patients respond to that? Um, I think the key to it was um, the simplicity of it. Um, I think a few of the patients um, to get their head around um, either a doing a virtual consult over the phone um, or um, via video, um, and you know then they're measuring what value they're getting out of that as well. Um, yeah, I had as early as uh, as recent as yesterday um, a, a consult with my doctor. So um, you know, I'm happy to tell you there was three items that I. Had on my list one of them was an ECG so how do I do an ECG over the phone I don't so um, we covered that off well it's fair to say that you've got to go get it come up to the to the clinic and get an ECG um, the other two items I could have quite easily have um, you know gone through that process over the phone um, you know the consult was 12 minutes I felt I got value um, and but there is a perception that you know if I'm not seeing a doctor face to face am I really getting the value out of it and you know, my view is, is that you are um, you're still talking to a doctor and you're still getting um, professional care. Yeah, or indeed, you know, is it is it real healthcare if it's not in person? Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I'm similar to you, not with a GP, but um, I, as you know, Kyle, I do a bit of running, a bit of a, you know, a weekend warrior. But I, I hurt my knee just before lockdown, uh, just as we went into lockdown, frankly, and. Uh, you know, the usual pain and and tr- trying to pretend it wasn't hurting. So eventually, I think after two weeks, I thought I've got to do something about this. And I, a friend uh, that is a physio got a hold of her, and she said, "Oh, that's fine. We we'll just do a virtual consult. Um, just I'll send you through the invite. We'll do it with your with your camera." And that's what she did. I had two virtual consults through the lockdown period. She got me onto a, you know, a, a, a rehab program. Uh, I then went to see her just last week for the first in-person uh, yeah. consult, and and it was fantastic. I you know definitely would do it even if it wasn't during lockdown. There was there was no need to go at that point. It wasn't until I the swelling had gone down and I'd done a bit of um, strengthening exercise that she could really assess it properly anyway. I think that's quite interesting because um, if I look at, um, I a, I've got a groin strain from an injury, a sporting injury, and um, you know my expectation I thought was well they're going to they're going to need to assess me in person, but the actual or well, I'll refer you to a sports physio to be honest, <laughs> um, you know, sporting injury, um, so it which makes logical sense, and we're now in a position at level one that we can actually see these um, these people in um, as a as an in person consult. Yeah. So coming through post COVID, so um, and in fact, you know, we're probably um, 
really not covering the whole impact of of virtual during that period, how important it was uh, where to make sure that people who needed care still got care, at least to the to the level that a virtual consult could do. Uh, there's the whole area of e-prescribing. You know, that changed significantly in a, just overnight, didn't it? Uh, oh, so, absolutely. Uh, Even my own, um, you know, I needed a prescription yesterday and um, that was fulfilled electronically. I didn't touch anything. Hmm. Yes. Great. Yeah. You know, um, so <laughs> an end-to-end process in that respect, apart from the fact you have to pack it up. Or you can even get it delivered these days. Um, yeah, carried to your door. And uh, they, I think that because we're both, well, actually, I'm on that um, e-prescribing governance group. And they, you know, we've spent two to three years trying to get uptake in, you know, across GPs. It's been slow but steady in a way. I think it was sitting at about 30% of GP practices across the country just pre-COVID, uh, around about 30% were on on the NZEPS. Uh, that shot up rapidly. I'm not sure what it's sitting at now, but I think last look around about a week or two ago, it was at least 80%. Yes. And and it's a bit, that's a big factor because then you, you know, you, it was called e-prescribing, but actually we was, you know, we were still needing, you know, GP still had to print out the script and sign it. Mm, that's right. And then give, give it, Give it to the patient and get tell them to go and take it to the pharmacy. Uh, well, actually, or fax it. Yes. Uh, you know that or, again overnight. Feel it feels like overnight. That doesn't have to happen anymore. I oh, know exactly right. You know it's um, you know paper's gone. <laughs> Um, yeah, and um, I guess you know, understanding the cost for general practice to be able to deliver that service as well. Um, mm. There are swings and roundabouts with that. Yeah. So post-COVID and just sort of plugging in here, it's sort of an emotional point really, which is about attitudes. So mm-hmm. attitudes to to virtual healthcare or, or having healthcare provided in a virtual manner, mm-hmm. you know, with the use of use of digital technology. I think. Uh, so I how think- do you, yeah. Yeah, no, you jump in there. Sorry, Scott. I think if you look at the, um, the traditional model, um, it is 15-minute um, consults, um, one patient after another. Yeah, And um, I think virtual healthcare, um, and whether it's by telephone, whether it's by video, can change um, the way healthcare is delivered. Um, it's either speeding it up. Some I know only have a five-minute consult. Um, some have an extended 15-minute consult. So, um, you know, and it's about scheduling in time as well so there is um, you know that, that having a waiting room or a virtual waiting room where you can drag um, your patients into a room at will um, you know you have full visibility over that so that whole traditional model seems to completely change um, you know it's either providing more opportunity for a general practice um, and I think uh, you know majority of general practices don't want to go back um, I don't think the health system wants to go back to that and, I don't, and mostly I don't think the patients want to go back to that model either if you look at um, I look at social media quite a bit and, and do see that a lot of patients had a great experience and don't want to go back to that in person. It's it's about, you know, for me, it's about convenience. Um, you know, I can sit in my office, um, have a phone call with my with my doctor. Um, and, you know, I've even had SMS messages with my doctor. Um, it's just convenience. So I don't have to, you know, go to the car park get my car, drive up to the doctors, you know, I can burn, you know, 45 minutes um, in that time. So, hmm. Yeah, but, and sit in the waiting room and every, you know, everything else that goes with that. Yeah. That's what I've been seeing on social media as well in that, um, like you, you know, the, the massive amount of positive comments, particularly uh, to do with the peripheral areas that 
people have actually now realized were quite important to them, which are the things like taking time off work, mm-hmm. getting in a car or getting on a bus, going to a clinic. Um, then then you've got to do all that in reverse. So and and even you know for for the kids if they if one of the the kids are a bit sick maybe a, a, a sore throat so forth you go take them out of school you got to do that whole thing so so virtual okay, make, virtual to a large extent is equating to convenient for from a patient experience or a customer's perspective absolutely I think it's um you know that whole convenience piece is is key. You know, um, we've, we're now thinking about the patient, um, you know, what's what's good for them, um, you know, being able to deliver, you know, that into the home even is fantastic. Well, that's going to be another phase, isn't it? So we're talking post-COVID or probably even sort of getting into, you know, the, the, the overused term at the moment, the new normal. Mm-hmm. But the where we start to talk about telemonitoring or the use of devices, to monitor various, um, uh, whether it's our activities for daily living, um, our temperature of our house, all of those things, our weight, our blood pressure, and so on, uh, capturing that information uh, to inform the clinical team or the clinician or the clinical team. I can see that ramping up quite significant. Yeah, it's an affordable um, technology too. Like this stuff is off the shelf um, very cheaply. Um, you know, and if, if you've got funded programs that operate within your um, your catchment with your PHO um, and DHB, then um, you know you get funded programs that can facilitate those um, sorts of technologies into the home, which is which is fantastic. And I guess um, you know post COVID, people um, have moved to that step of having um, consults over video, over phone. Um, you know this is the next step for them, and then they're, they're not too just um, unfamiliar with technology now? No, no. That's right. Well, you know, uh, like a, a lot of, uh, again, harking back to the running uh, um, game and uh, cycling, whatever, you know, we, most have, a lot of us are walking around with some sort of sports watch on our wrist. Uh, we're, we're, we're capturing um, a lot of data and actually a lot of us are sharing it uh, whether it's on, say, Strava or Garmin, whatever platform you're using, um, we're quite openly sharing, you know, what I, you know, we just had a run yesterday and here's, here's my heart rate every second, you know. Uh, you know, that's the sort of information that, that you'd think, well, should you share that? Well, majority of you I'm, I'm happy with are sharing their data with um, with mm-hmm. the, um, to the US anyway. I think, um, you know, it would be naive to think that our, our information mm-hmm. that we're collecting, even on our phones, isn't going somewhere. Um, no. And even the US, it would be, be uh, other places, wouldn't it, that we would, um, in theory, would think, gosh, I don't want my data sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I guess consumers are none the wiser, really. Like, I can't, <laughs> you can tell me the, the last time you, uh, Scott, read the terms and conditions when you pressed OK. <laughs> oh, no, no, come on. I, I read it right. I like, it takes me two hours. I read it right to the end, mate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let's finish off with the business model because I think that GPs and the traditional, um, what I call bricks and mortar model, uh, sort of going down um, the blockbuster type route. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's different because it's health and all those sort of things. I get that, uh, but what's coming through and what blockbuster missed was, you know, the likes of video, uh, video cassettes, and then DVDs and so on, mm-hmm. getting delivered to the people to person's doorway and 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 they were able to send them back. So the bricks and mortar came under threat and they missed that. Um, then, of course, the model that that um, put the end to Blockbuster uh, was then put 
that they were put paid to by the likes of Netflix and so forth. So, you know, there's this whole evolution that occurs with the use of digital. Mm. So I, we're seeing it, we've seen it in the UK, in the UK with the NHS model. So where we start to see, and we are now seeing them like uh, vir- fully virtual models of care delivery, Yes. Uh, which you subscribe to and you, you know, might pay $10 a month and you can have so many virtual consults or whatever. And with chatbots as well, uh, I can see a point there where they, by dint of that convenience, they will cherry pick, let's say, the worried well and the not so sick mm. and, and the very sick and truly sick, as I call them, will still be walking into the GP clinic and they're going to put a lot of pressure on GPs because um, – that's all the GP is going to see all day. Very, very, very sick people needing a 30-minute consult, not a 15-minute. Yeah. So any, any thoughts on that? That's a business model discussion, isn't it? it is and some model. GPs, if they if they are not aware of it, are going to miss the boat. Yeah, and I think um, you know, you're supporting programs from DHPs and PHOs where they are um, assisting with long-term condition patients. Um and you're right, um, you know, cherry-picking um, the worried well um, is, you know, any business model is going to point towards the where the easiest fruit is to pick. Um, that's probably it. Um, I think if you look at the, um, the current healthcare home model, um, that has been um, successful in delivering um, a model of care change, and I think we need to leverage that, um, that success. Um, by adding virtual care to it. I know um, there is discussions that um, funding of virtual consults um, will become a thing um, within the ministry um, and funding models. To and, and that's just to drive a different model of care, and I think that's really important. If we're going to drive a different model of care, we've got to be able to support the general practices, practices through that. Yes, I agree. The policy and funding has to have to pull some levers, and some of those levers aren't there at the moment. Mm. So they've got to be put there, and then they've got to be pulled, frankly, quite hard to then incentivize uh, and and but also to to support the shift. You know, there's otherwise we do end up with a blockbuster type effect where there is no longer any any blockbusters. Yeah, you know, I, I think there was one, and it was up in uh, uh, Dargaville, and it closed recently. So, uh, and I think that was the last one in the whole world. Um, <laughs> but now another topic that we will have to have another episode on, another session on. But let's chuck it in right at the moment, just to just as a bit of a teaser, is actually about the the patient record. So, um, you know how I feel. Um, I want it's my record, and I want it, and I want it to be mobile with me. So, if I do choose that I want to subscribe and get some virtual health care most of the time, well, then I will make my record available to that provider. I've, I've got a GP where at, at times I'm going to have to go and see, well, I'll make my record available to that person. Same with the with the hospital I go to and so on. Mm. Uh, that's a, That creates a bit of a panic amongst some when I mention that. Yeah, I think that um, when you say your record, I I used to think that as well until I had a conversation with Dr. Nigel Miller here at the Southern DHB, and he said, "Well, there is multiple contributors to that record. Um, yeah, it's almost our record 
for that person and um, I, I couldn't disagree with him and he's right um, because majority I don't write anything in mine the, the doctor basically created my whole record just about me so I guess it is it, it is a record about me um, being able to share that record um, should be something that we have a right to do um, and it's not to do with legislation or anything like that it's to do with technology really and having the ability to do it mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that, and I know, and I'm, I'm well aware of Nigel's uh, uh, thinking on it, and I'm not too far distant actually. And I suppose from my perspective, it's we've got to push the barrow out there. We've got to got to say, well, you know, if it's if it's going to be this this endpoint, well, what is it going to be? And let's get on with it and make it happen. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm old enough to know a time and remember a time. I've still got my marbles, but uh, uh, when when my 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 bank told me that I was going to have to start doing my banking with using my computer. Yes. And I do remember thinking at the time, oh, no way, you know, I, I want the personal contact. I want to go in and I want to see the cashier and I want to do a transaction. You know, I want that. And I probably stuck very true to that for a little while until I realised how once I figured out the, the, the computer side of it and the online banking facility, I thought, well, this is quite convenient. That's and then right. I realised actually I had – I had access to my record. I could control my record, so which was my banking record. Yes. So that actually made me take more responsibility for my my record and my data. Uh, so, and I can see that working through into the health system now that we start to get online, virtual. Um, as patients, we start to see our data more. We start to take more responsibility for it. Then we'll start to think, well, who else is using this? Yes. And, and and are they being as responsible as I'd expect them to be? So that is another topic, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a whole topic altogether, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, well, thanks for your time today, Kyle. Um, I know how busy you've been and always are. So taking time out to talk to me and our listeners is fantastic. I really appreciate it. Um, you go well, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks very much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Digital Health Insights Podcast with Scott Errol. Make sure to subscribe and join us again for more news, views and stories from key health and tech leaders. For more information, please head to our website at www.nzhit.nz where you'll find links to resources, news, events and much more.